Uh, I love traditions. I got married to my wife, and, and she likes her traditions too. And so kind of our Christmas plan is to do everything that we can possibly do. It wasn't like we were like, hey, you know, we'll create a new thing. We're just like, well, we have to be there, 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 and there, and there. And then Christmas will be complete. And as we go through this series and we talk about kind of simplifying Christmas, remembering what Christmas is all about, looking at the most simplest uh, form of the Christmas story as Luke records it for a guy named Theophilus. Uh, I'm a little convicted that if an alien, you didn't see that coming, did you? An alien was to watch me celebrate Christmas, then he wouldn't be able to figure out what Christmas was all about. If an alien were to come down and say, I'll celebrate this holiday with you, then I think that, that he or she, alien, would walk away going, well, this thing must be about food. Oh, and for sure they would say that, uh, especially this year. Uh, they would say, well, it's about family, I think. It's about singing some songs. Uh, it's about decoration. But I don't, I don't know that any more than the rest of the year for me, they would go, that's really about the birth of, of somebody, and it must be something special. And as we've talked about how Christmas has become so cluttered, in, in our series this year that sometimes it takes away from us really celebrating what it's all about. And as Christians, we think that Christmas is all about celebrating the birth of Jesus. And even though we believe that, it's so cluttered by our traditions and all the stuff that we feel like we need to get done that even in the midst of us knowing that it's all about Jesus' birth, our responses still don't align. And oftentimes, if you were to watch people during Christmas, you would think that, that Christmas was about something else. And there's no way, uh, perhaps better to kind of think about how we respond to Christmas and, and how cluttered Christmas has become and what we think about at Christmas and what we talk about at Christmas than, than maybe this, this one phrase, and the phrase is, the war on Christmas. You know this phrase, right? The war on Christmas. Uh, and it, it's a phrase that kind of represents this idea, uh, whether you believe it or not, I don't care, but this idea uh, that, that liberals are trying to take away our Christian Christmas. They, it's, they're trying to get rid of it. They're trying to remove it from us. And uh, we talked about the red cups earlier in the year, the Starbucks red cups, and, and how, you know, people got uh, some, very few people, but, but a few people out there in the world got very upset because they got rid of ornaments and, uh, on their Christmas cups, and they got rid of, uh, they got rid of these you know, snowmen or whatever they had in years past. And we talked about how that is a sign that people have now, even Christians, made Christmas about something other than Jesus. And there's these, it's not just cups I found out this week, just from doing a little, a little studying. I mean, there are fights over cookies, there are fights over cups, there are fights over carols, and there are even fights over Santa Claus. And people that are Christians are mad, just consider this for a second, you have like some Christians who who are like we're not going to talk about Santa because this is all about Jesus and Santa will take away from him. but there's actually also Christians who are all up in arms because people try to get rid of Santa Claus and, and then they're like well now you're trying to get rid of my Christmas I don't know if the liberals can win in this situation you know and, and uh, actually this week Republican Doug Lamborn introduced a resolution uh, in the House of Representatives that declared the this is in quotes now 
Symbols and traditions of Christmas should be protected for use by those who celebrate Christmas. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. This is not a political thing at all for me, but it does point to something. It points to the fact that even us who are Christians are so concerned with how he worded it, uh, the traditions and symbols that we feel like if those things are taken away, somehow Christmas is taken away. But at the beginning, we just believe Christmas is about the birth of a savior and there's nobody who can possibly take that away from us. And so we just get caught up and you see it in this war on Christmas, but we get caught up in all of these traditions and all of these symbols and we just forget about what Christmas is really all about. And whether you disagree or agree that there's a war on Christmas, you must admit that the idea that there would be a war on Christmas that is based on symbols being taken away suggests that Christians have forgotten what Christmas is actually all about. And it points to the fact that it's so cluttered that people don't feel much of a need to respond to the actual thing that we celebrate, the birth of Jesus. In fact, it seems that like if there's any kind of response at all to the actual like thing about Christmas, Jesus, by Christians, it it seems like kind of misguided. I mean, we talked about last week this humility of Jesus in Luke chapter two, one through seven, that he would come as a baby, that's, that's humble, but that he would come and he'd be laid in a manger, a feeding trough that would have been kind of carved out stone and you know how that's dangerous for babies and how it's gross and we hope he didn't have hay fever. I didn't say that last week, but just this week I'm thinking about that and, and how just humble that is and, and how humble it was that, that he would come in a situation where there was no room for him. I mean, whether it was an inn or a guest house or whatever, the fact that, that our God would come to this place earth and, and he would come and there would be no, re, no room for him. It suggests that it's just grand humility and we talked about how this humility points to salvation and it points to how gracious we should be and it points to how much Jesus wants to be in a loving, connected relationship with you and, and here's kind of how we respond, respond to it. Uh, it's like people on one side, this is like if you're not a Christian now, you know, I say Merry Christmas to you and you're like, how dare you shove that religion down my throat? It seems that maybe we're misdirected, misguided kind of on how we respond. And then on the other side, you who are Christians, it's like somebody says happy holidays to you and you're like, how dare you try to kill my Jesus? You know, I mean, that's our response to this humble birth of our Savior a couple thousand years ago just to be mad at everybody because there is a war on Christmas or there's not a war on Christmas or there should be a a war on Christmas. I don't know, but uh, it's weird to me. The Catholic League War on Christmas annual report. You can find this on the internet. Only 2014 is available currently, but uh, go ahead and Google the Catholic League War on Christmas annual report and you'll find all the years to see how this war on Christmas Christmas raged year after year. Let me just give you a couple of things they include. Some of them as Christians would be like, yeah, uh, we don't like that as much. I think most like that, that seems kind of like you're trying to take a shot at Christianity or whatever. But let me just read you a couple of them. Santa Claus was disinvited from his traditional appearance at the Witter concert at Andrew Peabody School because one parent complained. The annual concert for first through fourth grade students would normally include a visit from Santa. The school describes itself as an inclusive community and Santa would make an appearance at a different event for families at the school. That event was not part of the school day and attendance was optional. This is how we're choosing to respond 
to the birth of Jesus by being mad that Santa Claus was no longer allowed at school except for on an optional only day. He still came to the school, notice you, but this is making our list about how people are attacking our Christmas. And it suggests, I'm not, uh, um, this is not about the war on Christmas, it suggests that maybe our response to Christmas is just a little bit off. Uh, and then another one in Louisville, Kentucky, at least 25 homes were vandalized when a group of teenagers went around breaking Christmas decorations, stealing lights, and slashing air-filled displays. I mean, they were really attacking Christianity when they went after those air-filled displays, weren't they? I mean, they were really getting to the heart. I mean, it was pretty much like they were just stealing baby Jesus from the manger, and they just totally were rejecting Christianity. Vandalism happens in Villebois like every single day. Kids are running around doing things uh, ding-dong ditching. Is that how you say those words? They're ringing the bells. They're doing things. And, and this, is, this is the type of thing that is frustrating so many Christians around our country. And it has to point to the fact, it has to, that perhaps we are not responding to the story of Christmas very well. But there's good news. There is a story that we will look at today, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, and we see proper responses to the birth of Jesus. We see different responses. They're not all just cookie cutter or anything like that. We see different responses, but at least they're proper responses to the story of the birth of Jesus. But before we look at that, I just want to remind you what we've seen so far in this series because it just seems so far from blow up lawn ornaments or whatever you call those things out in our yard being attacked. You know, it seems so far from that. In this series, as we've talked about Simply Christmas, we've seen that, that a normal girl getting an extraordinary message from an angel is Simply Christmas. We've seen that an invitation to explore the nature, character, and role of Jesus is Simply Christmas. We've seen that God sending his great son to be king forever is Simply Christmas. We've seen that God's ability to do the impossible is Simply Christmas. Recognizing that we should humbly serve God is simply Christmas. The coming of mercy is simply Christmas. The reversing of our fortunes is simply Christmas. The fulfillment of promises is simply Christmas. Humility that points to salvation and deeper connection with God and calls us to be gracious to others is simply Christmas. And when we hear that list, these things that we've just covered in three weeks, and we could probably gone for weeks and weeks and weeks more on this subject, but when we see that list... It seems like our responses currently are just misdirected. And so if you'll open your Bibles or you're turning it up on your apps to Luke 2, 8 through 12 is where we'll begin. Uh, I want to start there, but first I want to remind you that this book is being written to a man named Theophilus. Luke is writing for a guy named Theophilus who's probably paid him to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus in the book of Luke starts with the Christmas story and we talked about throughout how Theophilus, because of the gospel, Luke probably became a Christian and he was compelled to give his life to Jesus because of what he reads here. But we've also talked about how just the story of Jesus' birth would have been nothing like Theophilus expected. He would have expected something grandiose, something big, something majestic, something in a castle, something that everybody in the world would have known about, something that would have been just noticeable to every person in the known area. And instead he gets a baby that is born in, a, in, a, in an area for animals and then laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the place that they were supposed to stay or wanted to stay or whatever. And so you think like Theophilus as he's following this story is probably thinking something great 
is about to happen. Something has to switch. Something has to flip. Something has to get different because this is too humble. This is too real to be really about the Savior. And here's the next line that Theophilus would have read a couple thousand years ago. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now the angel part's really cool. The office would have been like, that makes sense. Finally, we're getting somewhere. But shepherds, we're like low on the, on the social scale of society at the time. Shepherds were social outcasts. They were dirty, first of all, as they would be, uh, hanging out with sheep all day, stepping in the poop. You don't have a new pair of shoes. You don't just go wash them, you know? I mean, they would have been actually dirty, but they also would have been symbolically dirty according to the Jewish people. They would have been people who were unclean because they were hanging out with animals and because of the things that they did on a day-to-day basis. They, they were seen as like these uneducated people who just were out kind of doing their own thing outside of society but don't really fit in with all the other classes of people and they would have been the social outcasts. And Luke goes, okay, Jesus is born and here's what happened next. An angel showed up. Yeah, that makes some sense. And by the way, the angel showed up to a group of social outcasts. This again points to the humility, the love, the graciousness, the humanity of Jesus and what he wanted to do. You see, the angel comes to these social outcasts and then she says, he says this thing, I just got really like cultural right there, calling an angel a she. That just fits our, our we, we don't know anything like that. But, uh, but, but the angel comes and the angel says something quite incredible to these shepherds. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Now, there's two really important things. First of all, first of all, I want you to know that it is very core, it's very center in the most simple, basic understanding of Christmas. This baby being born to be the savior of the world is, is just this, this right here. It's good news. It's great news, in fact. I think that we have cluttered Christmas so much that, that sometimes when the holiday season hits, all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, I can't believe it's here again and I have all these things to do and we don't have enough time and it's gonna end too fast and oh, I can't believe another year is up and, the, and we just get super stressed out and I, and I think we just all, just all, just with me, just think about it for one second. We just need to remember that it's core. Christmas is in fact good news. I don't care if you hate Christmas music, although that makes you kind of a bad person. I I don't care if you don't like decorating. I don't care if if you're not into Christmas food and and you prefer Thanksgiving food. I don't care if you put a tree up or any of that. But I do need you to understand that, that what we celebrate at this season, even if you're a Grinch, what we celebrate at this season, it is in fact good news. And that good news is for every person. 
You see, I think if, if, if the angel would have shown up and the angel would have come to a king or to the, the rich of society or the, the powerful in society, the politicians, the people ruling, if he would have shown up to them and said, hey, I have good news for everybody, it would have been just kind of a little bit unbelievable to us. Like, sure, it's good news to everybody, but it's really just good news to, you know, the good people of society. Uh, the people who have it put together in society. But when he shows up to these shepherds and says these things, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, it's believable. I mean, just consider after the parents of Jesus, the very first group of people that God declares, hey, by the way, this is the savior you've been looking for. This is the promised one. The first group of people is this group of shepherds. And I think that there is a mindset that so many people have, a lot of people have, this like, sure, this Jesus idea is really good news, but it's not good news for me because I didn't grow up in a Christian home because I'm not religious because I've done too many bad things because I don't have it well, things well put together because I'm rejected by everybody else. So why would this Jesus thing be for me? And at the very beginning, Jesus is just a little bit in this earth. He just has come. He's just born. And God just makes it so crystal clear that this baby brings is good news for every person. And it's good news of great joy if you could make good news even better. It's for you. So no matter how you feel about the Christmas season, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your parents believe, no matter uh, your background or your, whether you lean towards being scientific or artistic, it's all, it's good news for every single one of you, for me. And then this angel says three things that just, just really sets up the rest of the book of Luke. Luke's going to talk to Theophilus for like 24 chapters about how Jesus is these things, but right at the birth, Jesus is already these things, and he wants to just, just invite Theophilus to understand right at the beginning, this is who Jesus is, and I'm going to show you how that's all proved and what that looked like and what that caused Jesus to do, but right at the beginning, just know that Jesus is, is Savior. That means the one who saves you, and we know from reading the rest of the book of Luke that that means Jesus would die, and something that we celebrate when we celebrate communion every week, that Jesus would die on a cross and then rise again so that you who are sinful could be forgiven for your sins and have a right standing before God and eventually go into heaven. This is, this is what makes it good news. Jesus is Savior, but Jesus is also the Messiah or the Christ. That's the promised one in the Old Testament. The promise was that God would send somebody that would set things right on earth, that would make things good again. And Jesus is that person. And we don't see the fulfillment of that now, but we know someday when he comes back to us that Jesus is going to make all tears and all pain and all sorrow and all hurt and everything bad go away. He was born and laid in a manger. And we also know that Jesus is Lord, that he is the one who is to be followed and obeyed. And a lot of people, uh, and you see this especially at Christmas, they really like the idea of Jesus as Savior and they really like the idea of Jesus as Messiah, the one who can kind of make things right in their life. But they really forget this other thing that the angel said, that Jesus is also Lord, that he is the one that is to be followed and obeyed. And Luke makes clear as, as, we, as you continue through the book of Luke to Theophilus that, hey, it's not just about what Jesus can do for you. It's also that you must give your life to Jesus if you want to reap his benefits. 
And we think that Theophilus chose to do that. Now think about this. The baby's just been born. An angel is showing up to the shepherds. And that's pretty crazy, right? And then they're standing there and they're scared, it says, just like Mary was scared. And he's like, and this angel's like, hey, shepherds, this is your Savior. This is your Messiah. And this is your Lord. And then this crazy part happens. This is what Theophilus has been waiting for. This is, this is cool. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the big moment, like, right? I mean, this is like what we would expect. We would have expected this to be happening at the birth. We would have expected as Mary's squeezing the baby out, like angels are, are singing above her. We just get the manger, but now we get the moment that, that we, that we kind of want. It's the moment we like at Christmas. Some of you put angels on top of your Christmas trees to symbolize this moment because this is big and this is grand. And it's interesting because... One of the things that the angels says, these angels say, is that this birth, Christmas, is about peace. But what happens during December? You feel anything but peace. You're mad at the people who don't think like you because of the war on Christmas. You're mad at the people who who celebrate in a different way than you celebrate the birth of Jesus. You're flustered because not everything is done. You're, you're stressed out because you're gonna see those family members. You're angry because you didn't get to do certain things. You're sad because you can't spend as much as you'd like to spend on people. And this heavenly host of angels showed up to these shepherds. And one of the first things they declare about this Savior, Messiah, Lord is that he has come to bring peace. And so I would just like to say that first, I mean, just know this, Christmas is good news. It's good news for you, no matter who you are. But Christmas is also something that ought to bring you internal peace. Jesus didn't come so that all wars would cease. He'll come back so that that will take place. He didn't come the first time just so that everything would be immediately right. That'll happen when he comes back. But he did come so that you can know that you are forgiven and loved and cared for and so that you can have joy and you can have peace even when it's Christmas time. And so as you finish this Christmas season, you have about five days left and some of you are like, I just can't wait till the end. And you're just like, let's get through it and let it be done. Know this, Jesus came so that you could have peace. And if you're really celebrating simply Christmas, then you are, then you are experiencing a new level of peace, a different level of peace than you should have, you know, before you became a Christian, especially, but perhaps any other time of year. So when somebody's trying to stress you out, saying, we got to get this done, we got to get this done, we got to get this done, you go, hey, peace, bro. You know, I mean, it's, it's Christmas time. I'm celebrating the birth of Jesus, and he came so that I could have really internal comfort no matter what's going on around me. And now we get to the, the first response. And it's such a better response than so many people in our world today. In verses 15 and 16, when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. I want you just to just pay attention to three words. They hurried off. The natural reaction to such an incredible story, 
that a baby has been born that will bring forgiveness of sins, who will ultimately set things right, and who is the Lord that is to be served and obeyed. The natural reaction to that is to quickly explore it, to quickly discover if it's real, to quickly check it out. And that's exactly what these shepherds do. Now, I'd like to just point out that you, and this is especially aimed at you if you're not a Christian, you only have the record that has been given to us. You do not, and that I know of, have an angel or a host of angels declaring these things about Jesus. You only have, and I think it's pretty good, but you only have the words of one of the greatest historians who's ever lived, who, who wrote to a very smart, probably educated man named Theophilus that ultimately believed these stories, even though he lived at the time and you lived 2,000 years ago. And, and so I get that, that you don't have the angel, but you have a pretty good document that was given to a lot of people who just accepted it as true when they lived right near the time of Jesus. And, and, and so here's, here's what I say to you. Here's what I say to you. The Christmas story declares that a Savior, Messiah, Lord has come to earth. Why would you not check that out? Why would you not dig deeper to find out if it's real or if we have evidence for it being real? Why would you not do your best to discover all that you could about that story to see if it's true? You see, one of the responses to Christmas is just to go, well, that's part of Christianity, so I'm gonna reject it outright. I am gonna be the one who says happy holidays. I'm gonna pretend that this thing isn't going on, and I'm gonna be a little bit angry that they're saying Merry Christmas to me and all that because I've rejected it. But the majority of people, at least the majority of people that I encounter, are people who are rejecting without ever investigating. They just go, well, eh, I don't believe it, whatever. But these angels, and then Luke for us recording it, say to us, look, here's the story. Here's what you need to know. This baby was born so that he could be your savior, so that you could have all of the sins forgiven, all the bad things that you've done forgiven, so that things could be set right in your life, so that you could spend an eternity in heaven, so that you could have a new relationship with the God of the universe. And so to stick your head in the sand and go, I just reject it, is stupid. The shepherds go, wait a minute, this is big news. They don't have any background information. They're like, angel, words, we better go explore this because we would be idiots not to find out about it. And I'm telling you, maybe you're one of them and I'm sorry, but our world is filled with idiotic people that are just rejecting the Christmas story because their parents rejected it, because they went to a church once and somebody was mean to them, because they know a Christian who doesn't live like they're supposed to, and they they just say, I'm not gonna ever even explore it. And I'm begging you, I am begging you to learn from these shepherds because what I'm declaring to you today is that I believe and a savior who came here and was born a couple thousand years ago, and I believe that that savior interacts with me on a daily basis, and that savior has brought me joy through things that I never thought I could have joy through, and that savior has brought me peace that transcends all understanding, and that savior is my friend, yet my God, and that savior has done so much for me. I'm declaring that to you, and I think that you would be an idiot not to at least explore it. I'm not gonna stand up here and say, well, just based on these angels right here, just believe right now. You might believe right now and the Holy Spirit might do that in you. But I am saying that you would be stupid not to explore it. You would be, you would be really just, 
just arrogant not to explore it. The opposite of what Jesus was. And so the first response we see in this story is these angels who are the uneducated outcasts. People who, who could have gone, well, I'm just not the religious type. I mean, that's the other people. They could have just, just said, well, that's cool. Awesome. God, take care of these sheep. I have too much to do. I'm too busy. But they go and they explore. The story continues. When they had seen him, I love this. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I mean, the shepherds see and hear enough to at least be a little bit impressed. We don't know that they gave their lives to Jesus in that moment. We don't know what transpired exactly, but we know that they had seen enough to want to express this story to other people. And you can see what's coming. It's fairly obvious. If you're a Christian person who believes this story, then you should have a magnificent desire in your heart to tell it to somebody else. I mean, you should have just, just a passion to tell the story to others. You know, we've made the story so many things that it's a little probably more scary to tell the story. But it's not even that scary to go, yeah, I believe that our Savior, Messiah, Lord was born and laid in a manger and that's why I celebrate Christmas. Because our God choose, chose to do that. And we see in these shepherds this natural reaction. Before Christmas got all cluttered and you thought everybody was going to get mad at you and you were kind of mad at them. And you know, before all of that, before all of that, these shepherds heard this incredible story and their natural reaction was to go, we better tell somebody else about it. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying because I... I, you know, I, I think I have social skills. I'm not saying you run into the, uh, to your, your you know, in-laws' houses who are very anti-Jesus and, 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 you know, they don't celebrate and it's festivus for them. And, and that if you don't know that what that reference is, watch Seinfeld. Um, but, but it's like they just hate this whole Christmas thing and you're coming in and like, Jesus was born, man. I mean, Jesus is the reason for the season. Never use a cliche, by the way. Um, but, uh, but, you know, all this stuff. And, and it's like... Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if you really believe that our Savior Messiah, Lord, was born and placed in a manger and he was humble enough to come here so that you could have a relationship with him and you could have salvation and to show you what grace really looked like, then it should always be kind of welling up inside of you and it should always be at the tip of your tongue to say, here's why. Here's why I celebrate. It's not about decorations and it's not about trees and it's not about singing. It's about Jesus and what he was willing to do for me. We've relegated this really to cliches. I already mentioned them. And cliches are fine. If you're talking to another Christian, I'm fine with that. Jesus is the reason for the season. Keep Christ and Christmas, our two biggest and most favorite. That's fine. You can say that to me all day and I'll agree with you and I'll be happy with you. But it seems like that's become the extent of it. And we have no passion and no desire and no care to tell somebody who doesn't know about it, who doesn't believe in it. And we think in, in America still, and we're wrong now, that every person has heard this story, that every person knows what Jesus is and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but it's no longer true. We live in the midst of a lot of people who don't really know what Christmas is all about. They just have no understanding of why we actually celebrate it. 
the other response we see here is that people are amazed at the story. They're amazed by it. These people include people, I'm sure, who don't even believe it. But at least they're amazed by it. And I think whether Christian or non-Christian, we should at least be amazed by the story of Christmas. That the Savior, Messiah, Lord came to earth. We should at least be like, wow, that's crazy. We've heard it so many times. We've sung it so many times. We've thought about it so many times. That that oftentimes we're just like, eh, sure, we know. I've heard it. It's okay. Let's get through it. Let's be done with it. Yeah, let's get to the presents. Let's get to the songs. Let's get to the next thing. I have traditions to fulfill. I don't have time to read that story again, you know. That's our mentality. But it's a crazy story. And I think we only have really two choices. We're amazed because we believe it or we just reject it as crazy. And I think both of those are better than what most people do during Christmas. They're like, eh, just ignore it because I've heard it before and it's just out there. We should all, every one of us, be like, that's crazy. I mean, Luke, a historian, not some guy that wrote mythology, not some guy that was a great fictional writer, not some guy who was selling somebody a line, one of the greatest historians ever to live, says, hey, Theophilus, I want you to know the facts. And let me begin with the story of this King Messiah, the Savior of the world, being born and laying in a manger. And then there were angels everywhere, and they declared it to these shepherds. Wow. That's a wow thing. That's a wow thing. And the story continues. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Mary acts like a parent. And I think that's pretty cool because I'm a new parent and so it connects with me. Uh, Mary treasures and ponders these things in her heart um, uh, with our new baby, uh, we have we've been treasuring things. Uh, it's really cool. I mean, uh, Hazel's first words. She's three months old, and I swear to you, she says words. Bryn doesn't believe me, and I always tell Hazel, you just remember when you invent a time machine that I'm the one who believed in you and your intelligence. Hazel throwing a ball. I love that. She's getting it down. She can catch a little. She understands now that when I... This is, sounds like it's a bad thing, but I promise it's gentle. When I drop a ball on her, she's now figured out that her hands come in to catch it. And so I pretty much have to land it there, but it comes in and she's kind of getting the, the fling down. She's starting to throw it a little bit. I know you just think I'm biased, but I'm not even biased. So it was hard to like her for two months. All she did was poop and cry. Um, <laughs> Hazel's first smile, that's something we love. And, and even uh, maybe more to the point because it happened this week, I, I went and uh, I had lunch at my niece's school, and so this isn't a Hazel story. I went and had lunch at my niece's school on Friday, uh, and and it was one of the greatest joys I've ever experienced in my life, to see my niece, who I love, and people act like you can't really 
no love until you have a child, but I, I love Leah just as much as I love Hazel. That's not even a question. Uh, and I went, and to see her excitement when I showed up and her kind of awkwardness and embarrassment at the same time, and, and then the fact that she hugged me twice and was excited to uh, show me her mousetrap. This is what happens in the last day of public schools. Apparently, you make mousetraps because of a sub, and they don't know what else to do. Uh, but her mousetrap that she had, that she had made, um, and, and all the other kids like wanted to show me theirs, but Leah got to be the one showing me hers because I was there. Uh, those are things that I just shoved right into my heart, and, and I will cherish them forever. And Mary hears these words and sees these things about her, her son, and, and I think she shows us a ra- reaction that many of us should have towards Jesus, even though he's not our son. He didn't come out of us, but, but we have a relationship with him. We are part of his family if we're Christians, and I think some of these, sometimes we should just treasure these things. We should just somewhere in our hearts be just so proud of the fact that God loved us so much that Jesus came to earth. And we should just be excited that he demonstrated this to shepherds before anybody else because it reminds us that even when we're gross and muddy, spiritually speaking, he still loves us. And we should just somewhere put it inside of us and be happy about it. But the shepherds show us that 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 happiness sometimes wells up. And they go home and they celebrate what they have seen and heard. And I think we just forget this time of year to actually celebrate Jesus. It's like he comes to his own birthday party and we celebrate everything else except for him. It's like he shows up and he's got the birthday boy t-shirt on and and we're like, hey, we're just gonna do something else you don't like to do at all. You know, I mean, we know that you were very humble and homeless for a few years and that you were born and laid in a manger and that you were rejected and all that. But this is all about lights and glitter and Christmas songs and all of that, you know. So you can be over there in your corner doing your humble thing, but I'm going to do my fun thing because that's what I enjoy doing. And think, I mean, think about if we did that to anybody, anybody like, hey, your birthday, but it's really you. Let's go over there. We would be bad people, but we do that to the Savior, Messiah, Lord. Our reaction is to make him the afterthought. And we rarely admit it. We rarely, outside of of maybe at church here on Sunday mornings, actually celebrate the coming of Jesus to the world. We might even sing the songs right before we open presents. That's a tradition in my family. We sing the songs. But we just kind of sing the songs because it's a tradition. And we would be mad if somebody tried to get rid of our songs, but we're not thinking about the profundity of those words about how powerful it is that we're singing that that Jesus came and it was announced to shepherds through angels and and all of that. And, And so some of us, I think, need to, this Christmas, again, celebrate the birth of Jesus. Simply Christmas should compel you to examine, ponder, treasure, celebrate, and proclaim the birth of Jesus. And so here's what I want from you this Christmas. You have five days, is that right? You have five days until Christmas and you can even celebrate after. I'll be okay with that. But I'm just gonna give you four, four words that I think you should do. One of these four things, just try to make one of these four things happen. Some of you need to investigate the story of Jesus. And over the next five days, you need to really look at it. Uh, You can email me and I'll talk to you about why I believe it to be true. You can reach out to me and I'll, I'll say, here's why I actually think this happened and why I choose to celebrate and why I 
I love Jesus and all that, but you need to investigate whether or not this is real because it's pretty crazy. Some of you just need to contemplate the story. You just need to open your Bible to Luke 1 and 2 and you just need to read it and you just need to think about it. And you just need to go, wow, that's cool. I mean, look at this. Look at this story and you need to read it and you need to look at individual verses and go, oh, wow, this is incredible. Jesus laid in a manger. Some of you should just read the words over and over and over and over again, laid in a manger and think about how much love that took for Jesus to come here and be laid in a manger. Some of you need to enunciate I used an eight because they all had eights. It wasn't the best word, but it makes sense. You just need to find a way to proclaim uh, the reality of the story that Jesus has touched your life by being born. You need to find a way. You need to look for opportunities to share this story with somebody else. You may have somebody in your life that you've been putting off and putting off and putting off talking to them about Jesus. And maybe the simplest starting point is to just go, hey, hey, here's what was announced. Jesus is Savior, Messiah, Lord. That's what I believe. That's why I celebrate Christmas. And some of you need to celebrate. Some of you need to just like, I don't know, go into a room, put on some Christmas music and, and sing along and be excited about it. Some of you need to stop being bah humbugs about everything that's happening and you're like, I hate this because it's all, I'm gonna see those people and all the stuff I said earlier. And you just need to celebrate and be like, I am pumped that Jesus would come to earth for me. So let me read those words to you. Investigate, contemplate, enunciate, and celebrate. If you're doing one of those four things, then you are having a much better response to Christmas than just being angry or upset or ignoring or going through the traditions or symbols and all that. So one more time, investigate, contemplate, enunciate, and celebrate. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that every person that's in front of me right now and every person who will listen online will, in the next five days, God, respond in one of those four ways. I pray that those who are not Christians would explore. I pray that even those who are non-Christians, who aren't Christians, who aren't in a relationship with you, God, would also contemplate this story. I pray for those of us who are, who love you, who believe the Christmas story, who, who care about the Christmas story, would God also contemplate and we would announce it to other people as, as you provide opportunity and as your Holy Spirit leads. And I pray, God, that we would celebrate your birth, not our traditions, not our symbols, not the things we like to do, not the lights, but we would celebrate your birth. Lord, in this moment, I just wanna say that we are so grateful that you chose to come in a humble way. I am. Uh, it's incredible that you would love me that much that you would be so humble and so gracious and so kind that you would come here as a small, little, tiny baby, Lord. That's incredible. And so I say wow, and I hope the people in front of me and these guys behind me uh, will say wow with me, Lord, as we think about what an incredible story the Christmas story is. And I pray in the next five days we would respond to simply Christmas in a way that pleases and honors you. In your holy name, amen.